The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. How many Olympics fans do we have in the room? I love watching the Olympics. I don't get to as much as I'd like to. And I know when I watch them that it's like 12 hours after the fact because it's in Russia. And I know that if I went on the internet, I could see who actually won. But for me, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. It's about all the fun little interviews and the human stories about all the obstacles that these athletes have overcome. And I love learning about how they train. I love uh, being inspired by their, their discipline and their rigor and the fact that most of these athletes four years ago planned out a four-year-long training regimen. And very many of them, you know, six days a week, they're waking up and they're working out all day, eating a ton of food, and then they're sleeping 12 hours a night, and then they get up and they work out again. I mean, this is their life. It's so focused and it's so disciplined. But I saw this really unusual interview. Did any of you guys see this interview where the guy uh, showed up to compete and he was kind of unshaven? And the TV interview, they grabbed him for an interview and, and he said, you know, I, I kind of slept in. I was, I was up late at a slumber party in the Olympic Village. And it was clear that he hadn't really eaten breakfast and he looked like he just rolled out of bed and showed up to compete. And then on the interview, after he, he performed, he did terribly. And the interviewer uh, starts talking to him again. He was like, you know, honestly, I've been playing a lot of Angry Birds on my phone. And I just got this app called Candy Crush, and it is just destroying my life. I've been taking a lot of selfies in the Olympic Village, and I, I forgot to even practice on the course. Did any of you guys see that interview? Yeah, I didn't either, you know? I, I, I think I missed it because it didn't happen. Because someone who's that undisciplined is not going to be at the Olympics, even if physiologically they had uh, the most athletic talent of anyone in the world, if they didn't work, if they didn't train themselves without any discipline, they're not going to show up at the Olympics. My heart for you in this series about prayer is to take you into part of the Christian life where the Apostle Paul says, train yourself in godliness. And that word train comes from a Greek word that uh, is the root of our word gymnasium or gymnastics. And it was used of the Olympics 2,000 years ago. And Paul says to a, a young Christian in Ephesus, he says, train yourself in godliness. Work at it. And we're going to unpack a little bit of what that means. And specifically, we're going to talk about what that means in your prayer life. Your prayer life is one of the disciplines of your Christian life. And it's a thing that if you neglect it, you know what? God still loves you unconditionally. Jesus still died on the cross for your sins. You'll still be in heaven. But your life on earth is going to be a lot less than what it could be. Your prayer life is one of the Christian disciplines that as you learn to train yourself in godliness, it will radically change your life and your relationships. It'll change everything about you. So here's our big idea today. You don't have to be a spiritual giant. You don't have to be a Christian Olympian to start a prayer life. But you'll never be a spiritual giant 
until you do. Now, I know spiritual giant is probably not a very mature term for me to use as a pastor. Uh, but I couldn't think of anything better. And I did spend a lot of time thinking about it. Because we have in the New Testament this little bit of tension. That our salvation is not a result of anything we do. It is absolutely a free gift. We're told over and over, you're saved by grace through faith, not by works. It's not by anything that you've done. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you don't know if you died today that you would spend eternity with God in heaven, you can accept that free gift today. Romans 10 says, here's how. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, Scripture says we're all separated from God by sin. God reaches out to us at the cross through the person of Jesus Christ, and he says, here's the way of salvation. It is now a free gift to all who will receive it, to whosoever believes. And so the way that you get into a relationship with God and the way that you get adopted into his family and the way that you get eternal life is not by giving money somewhere or doing a bunch of good works or going to church. It's by getting on your knees before God and saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin separates me from you. God, I really believe, Jesus, that you are God. You died on the cross for my sins. Will you be my savior? Will you forgive my sins? And when you do that, God says, scripture says, you're adopted into the family of God. The chains of sin that used to control you and enslave you are broken. And you are freed to live a new life and to walk in newness of life. Okay, so your salvation is not something that you train yourself to do. It's not something that you work out really hard spiritually and earn your salvation. It's, it's an adoption. And when you get adopted into your family, it's, you know, it's not because you earned it. It's because he said, come on in. And you said, okay. All right. Now, once you're in the family of God, God loves you no matter how you behave. He's the perfect parent who loves you unconditionally, no matter what. But because he loves you, he desires to see you grow. So in the new Testament, we get this language, um, Well, the Apostle Paul talks about us being infants, just like Angelina, who we just had up here. And he says, um, you know, drink the milk of the word of God. The milk is the sweet stuff, and it's good. It's stuff like, hey, you were a slave to sin. Now you can be free from that alcohol. You can be free from that lust. You can be free from that jealousy. You can be free from your pattern of destroying your relationships with everyone you care about. You can be freed from all that. It's good news. Jesus calls it the good news. And we start with that. And and there's no other way to start. And just like a baby, when they're born, they don't have teeth. They have to start with milk. Can't give them a steak. They don't have they don't have molars. They don't even have their front teeth, right? There's no teeth. You can't even give them spinach, right? All you can give them is milk. But as they keep eating that milk, they grow. And the hope is that eventually they grow some teeth. And then as they grow some teeth, you're able to start feeding them more. And God describes once you're adopted into his family, not by anything you did, but by what Jesus did on the cross. He describes you and me at first as a spiritual infant. And it's his desire, it's his will that you grow, that you mature because he loves you. He doesn't want us running around in spiritual diapers, you know? Some of us, we've been Christians for a long time and we're still wearing diapers. 
And it smells to be around us sometimes, right? And God's desire is, hey, you know, he still loves you when you're like that, but he wants to see you grow. That's why there are verses that say, train yourself in righteousness. That's why in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, the work of following Christ is described uh, in three different vocations. That of a farmer, that of an athlete who would compete in the Olympics of that day, and that of a soldier, You know, none of those are good jobs for lazy people, are they? Those are all jobs that require a lot of hard work to be a farmer or to be an athlete or to be a soldier. And Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, Timothy, as you follow Christ, as you live out the calling he's got for you, do it with the same passion that an athlete has. In 1 Timothy 4, 7, Paul says, Timothy, train yourself in godliness because, verse 8, working out physically, it has a little bit of benefit. But if you work yourself out spiritually, it has eternal benefit. So in this series, I am challenging you with one of the disciplines of your spiritual maturity, and that is the discipline of prayer. And I just want to be clear up front that we're not talking about legalism here. We're not talking about pray three times a day so that God loves you more. Okay, that's legalism is doing good things to try and earn God's favor or doing good things just as a a rote routine and your heart's not in it. Okay, we're not talking about that. But here's something I've observed as a young pastor. You know, a couple generations ago, uh, and and it's still with us a little bit, it's the circles I grew up in, legalism was a big problem. There were a lot of Christians who, hey, they were at church three times a week. They always wore their Sunday vests. There was Sunday school on Sunday morning. There was Sunday night church. There was Wednesday night church. And there was a little bit of this uh, kind of fake religious legalism that could seep in because people could attend all those things without their heart being in it, right? That's what legalism is. So my generation, we're, we're driving down the road and we see, wow, there's this ditch on the side of the road of legalism. We don't want to be in that ditch. So we're going this way. Problem is, many of us have overcorrected. There's another ditch on the other side of the road. Not legalism, but laziness or spiritual lethargy. Well, I'm not going to pray three times a day. That sounds kind of legalistic, so I'm not going to pray at all. I'll pray when the Spirit leads me, right? But we're so busy that we don't ever hear the Spirit lead us. Well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go to church three times a week, so I'm not really going to go to church at all. Before we know it, we've forsaken the assembling of ourselves together, as Hebrews tells us not to do. So, you know, depending on your background, depending on who you are, you're more likely to veer into the ditch of legalism or laziness. But when it comes to prayer, I have yet to counsel a believer who comes and says, you know, John, I've been so disciplined about my prayer life. I've been praying three times a day for the last year, and I've realized my heart just isn't in it. I've never had that happen. But you know what does happen a lot? Is a couple will come in and their marriage is just a disaster. Or their finances are a disaster. Or they're having trouble in some other area of their lives. And then you say, well, how often do you guys pray? Well, I guess like sometimes when we eat dinner, if we're not eating out, might. You know, the, the more common thing for, I think, the majority of us is not the fear that we'd be legalistic about our prayer lives, but that we're kind of lazy about our prayer lives. And that's the big principle for us today. We'll, let's skip to that, and then we'll come back to Ephesians 6. Here's the principle. If you want to have prayers that bring heaven to earth, the first thing you got to do is pray. 
sounds kind of silly, but it's true. What do I mean by bringing heaven to earth? Well, when Jesus taught the disciples, they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. He said, here's how you pray. And it's really short, for which I'm thankful. I wrote this earlier this week. I said, I think Jesus made the Lord's Prayer so short because he knew my attention span. You know, the Lord's Prayer is not a long prayer. And as we get into this series on prayer, maybe you're thinking like, well, that's kind of intimidating and all this Olympics talk. I feel like, man, these super spiritual giant people, they pray. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm not even going to try. Just give up before I start because there's no way I could pray like them. Look at the Lord's Prayer. It's just a few lines. It's short. You could memorize it in two or three days if you wanted to. And Jesus says, here's how you pray. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Thank you, God. I have a father who's looking out for me. He's in control of everything. And he's holy and he's good and he loves me. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, most of us, we tend to think of prayer as a way of us getting God to do our will. And prayer is actually about God's will coming down through us onto earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's, that's what prayer is actually about. But the beautiful thing is that prayer, and it doesn't have to be eloquent, it doesn't have to be the way you've seen some leader pray, it, prayer is raw. I mean, you read the Psalms, and David says, pour out your souls to God. Pour out your hearts to God, O oh people. Prayer is saying, God, I'm really nervous about this meeting. God, I don't know how we're going to you know, pay the bills this month. God, help me not to give that person the bird who just cut me off on the road. You know, prayer is just telling God your real stuff. And as you do, you open up this channel from heaven to earth. God wants us to be praying prayers that do affect the earth around us, not for our kingdom, but for his. And as I prayed about, okay, God, how do we teach this to your people? I realized, okay, we're talking about building your prayer life. In this series, we're going to hopefully, from God's word, give you tools to, for you to really get, get an awesome prayer life going. And I realized, man, how many of us actually have a prayer life to improve? How many of us have a base prayer life to build on? You know, when you get into a hobby like Toyota Land Cruisers, or Jeeps, or sewing, or knitting, or golfing, or working out, or biking, or running, you have to start somewhere, right? You know, you want to get into Jeeps. You can't necessarily afford the greatest Jeep, but you can get, you get some Jeep so that you start. You need a base. You, you want to start doing triathlons or you want to start biking or running. You, you, you start somewhere. You need a base. You want to get into sewing or knitting or even cooking. You know, you don't need like a chef's commercial kitchen, but you do need a few tools. You need a base. And, and really, my heart's desire for you today is to help you build a base in your prayer life. Maybe you already have one, and hopefully today we'll just encourage you uh, to keep building it. Um, but I think very many of us, there's not really a base there as far as a consistent prayer life with God. So let's look at our text today. It's Ephesians 6, verse 18. And this verse is a little different. In this series... We are going to be, each week, unpacking a prayer that Paul actually prayed. So next week we'll be in Ephesians 1, where Paul prays for these people at Ephesus. And we'll kind of pick out, boy, God, how can we pray a little more like Paul? 
But as I, as I searched through these different passages, I found this one at the end of Ephesians 6, where Paul himself is not praying, but he's telling the people he loves, one of the churches that he shepherds and cares for, he says this, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So here we're commanded, we're instructed, this godly spiritual giant who's inspired by the Holy Spirit says, do you want to keep growing spiritually? Do you want to mature in the Lord? Then pray. Pray in the Spirit. Pray at all sorts of different times. Pray with an alertness. Pray for God's other people. So when I'm talking about a spiritual giant that... You don't have to be one to start a prayer life, but you will never be one until you do. I'm not talking about some class of like holier than thou Christians, okay? We're not talking about some religious human thing of like, boy, that person's so spiritual. I'm talking about in the unseen realm. Uh, you know, you know, some of the spiritual giants in our church are uh, elderly widows who many of you don't even know attend here. And, and every Thursday at 1030, they meet at the Rosser campus and they, they pray, they prayed me up here. <laughs> they were getting together and praying before I was here. And they prayed five years ago for that God would bring a senior pastor. And, and they, you know, they, so this spiritual giant thing, this isn't about like comparing and am I better than, I'm just saying, do you want to be spiritually mature? And I love reading about the lives of people who are. I love reading biographies. And for me, uh, I love biographies of, of uh, men and women like, you know, Billy Graham, Oswald Chambers, Charles Stanley, people who've, who've gone out and they've, they've, they've changed the world. And you can just see, man, God, like heaven was just coming down through them. And they were like, God was changing the world through them. And as I read those biographies, you know, what always comes up as a constant, constant theme, prayer, the women and men who change the world for God are women and men who pray. Not just occasionally, not just when there's a crisis, and those are good starts, okay? But who prayed consistently and faithfully and who really connected with God in prayer. And, and maybe you're like, well, of course they, they have to pray because they're pastors and stuff. But what you don't realize is, no, the reason that they got used in such big ways was because of their prayers. It wasn't the other way around. It's not like, you know, God gave Billy Graham opportunity to preach in his lifetime to like 300 million people. And then afterwards he decided to start praying. It was because Billy Graham was this farm boy and he went to a, a cruise, he went to a little evangelistic thing at a small farm town church, accepted Christ as his savior and started praying and reading his Bible. And as he kept praying, God kept calling him to do more and more things. Your calling is not his calling. Your calling is not my calling, but God has a calling for you. He has a big purpose for you to be here. You're not here for an accident. You're not here just to survive or to make it through a tough economy or a government that you don't like. You are here because God has eternal things for you to do. And if you're not praying, you're going to miss them. You're not going to hear them. That's where we hear God's calling for us is in these times of prayer. So my desire for all of you is that you do be spiritual giants, not in some human category, but in the unseen realm, that you be mature, that you be growing in the Lord. What do spiritual giants look like? Well, they're people that 
have a life that matters. They're people who, because of their relationship with God, they have a a constellation of relationships where they are loved and where they love others because God's love is coming through them. They're people who have a legacy that outlives them. They're people who are full of peace and patience and kindness, not because of their disposition, but because they're full of the Holy Spirit. They're people who, when they have a long, hard day, they, they, they might not always feel great emotionally, but they can look back on their life, even look back over the last few years and say, wow, God is changing lives. God is working through me. There are people who you see them going through a trial or a difficulty and you think, man, I don't know if I could do that with the grace that they're doing it. And that grace is because they're connecting with God and it's his strength that you see in their lives. So prayer is not some human ability that guys like the Apostle Paul or Billy Graham, you know, they are like Olympians and they have a certain level of talent that we don't have. It's not like that. We all have the same talent. You're just as talented at praying as Billy Graham or Chuck Swindoll or whoever, okay? But it is a skill in that the more you do it, the more you enjoy it, and the more it changes you, and the more it changes the world around you. So let's look, you know, I was thinking, what are some reasons why we don't, why we don't have a base prayer life to build off of? And this isn't on your outline, but I I thought of four reasons why many of us, we don't even have a base prayer life. Or if we do, it's just, it's a pretty small base. Okay, four reasons. First, maybe you haven't thought to. Maybe you've just never thought of it. Second, maybe you've never been taught to. Uh, Maybe you're fairly new to the faith, or maybe you've been uh, in various churches, and it just a pastor has never come to it, of, hey, prayer is a key part of your spiritual growth. Or maybe you were taught incorrectly. Maybe you were taught at a church that said, you know, prayer has to look like this really dramatic thing or, uh, or this really, you got to pray these really eloquent lines. And, and you were taught to, but you were taught some human way that wasn't God's way. And so you kind of gave up on it. Maybe third, maybe you're intimidated by this idea that prayer, boy, to be a, you know, to be spiritually mature in a prayer, I need to quote scripture and use big words and these long, flowing, poetic sounding prayers. We don't find many of those in scripture. Jesus' prayer in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus' prayer in the Lord's Prayer, a lot shorter than, than, you know, what a lot of so-called spiritual people pray. You look at the prayers in the Psalms, they're, they're not all beautiful. A lot of them are pretty gutsy and bloody and messy. You know, I mean, David's just working through his emotions with God. So don't let that keep you from building a base for a prayer life. And by the way, the enemy wants you to quit before you start. He knows if, if you develop a actual thriving prayer life with God, he knows the impact it'll have on your life and through you on other people. He knows that. And he wants you to quit before you even start building a base prayer life. So he's going to come to you and he's going to say things like, well, you know, you're going to try and you're going to fail. So don't even try. By the way, he'll, he'll tell you that with your marriage. He'll tell you that with your parenting. He'll tell you that if you think, man, I should be in scripture more. I'm going to start reading the word. He's going to say, you're going to fail, so don't even try. 
especially those of us who are kind of perfectionist wired, right? Uh, d- don't believe that. That's a lie. That's a lie from the liar, from the deceiver who comes to kill and destroy. God tells you this in 2 Peter 1.3, in Christ, you have everything necessary for life and godliness. And when those lies come that say, oh, don't even work on the marriage because it's just going to fail. You, you tell them that. You quote 2 Peter 1.3 and you, and you tell yourself that. And you say, you know what? In Christ, I have everything necessary to have a thriving prayer life. In Christ, I have everything necessary to get in the word of God and be fed by it. I don't have it in myself, but I know I have it in Christ. And by faith, I'm going to step out. So that's a third reason sometimes that we, that we don't have a base prayer life. And then that fourth one is that legalistic thing. Of we think, well, if I commit that every night I'm going to pray for 15 minutes and every afternoon when I'm on my lunch break, I'm going to pray for 15. You know, isn't that kind of legalistic? Isn't that kind of rote religion? Well, no, it's not if your heart is in it. It's not. And God works through that. So let's get into a few points. Here's the first one. It's actually spiritual and even biblical to have rituals that direct your heart to heaven. These are not empty rituals where your heart's not in it, but these are rituals that God uses in your schedule. Here's one example. Daniel 6 verse 10. You may remember Daniel was living as a person of God in a foreign land, and a law had been written specifically to get him imprisoned, and Daniel decided he was going to keep praying anyways. The law said he couldn't pray. We're told now when Daniel learned about the decree that had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. So can you picture it? Daniel has an upstairs room. Okay, he's got, I don't know if it's a living room or what it is, and he's got some stairs. He goes up these stairs. There's a room there. There's a window that happens to face Jerusalem. And if there's blinds or a shade, he puts them up and he kneels and he prays. It says three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. In other words, Daniel did this every day, every day. In the same place, it was a ritual for him. And his heart was in it, but it was a ritual that helped his heart. We see the same thing in Jesus' life. Luke 5, verse 16, tells us that Jesus often, meaning it was his custom, as was his custom. This was normal. This was part of Jesus' life routine. That it might not be the same time every day, but he all, it was normal for him to withdraw from everything, get to a lonely place, and pray to the Father. We'll see this in Paul's prayers as we study Paul's prayers. Here's two examples, Ephesians 1 and Philemon 1. I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He uses that phrase over and over as if this is just a normal part of Paul's life. You know, like, hey, I always listen to my favorite band when I work out, in my workout, you know. Uh, I always... uh, No, I need to eat oatmeal because I have high cholesterol, but don't in my breakfast. You know, it's like this, you know, in my, this is a normal part of his life. In my prayers, it's a normal part of Paul's life. Every day he's got a time when he has his prayers and he tells these people, I'm praying for you. So, so it's, it's biblical. It's a good thing. And while we don't want to fall into legalism, a rules-based religion, we also need to be aware of the other extreme. And that is we're just so busy with our American lives that we're not praying at all. So question for you, as it relates to your prayer life, do you struggle more with legalism that you're praying three times a day and it's become an empty thing? Or do you struggle more with 
laziness or lethargy. There's just, there is no set aside time to pray. Next, there's no such thing as growing spiritual maturity in Christ without a prayer life. Even your salvation, when you cry out to God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I need you to be my savior. That's a prayer. You, you know, it starts with a prayer. And if you want to grow, prayer has to be part of it. Again, this is not some big formal religious thing. This is you saying, God, here's what's going on in my heart today. I'm tired. I'm lonely. I'm hungry. I'm intimidated. I'm overwhelmed. Just being real with your heavenly father. Third, a life-changing prayer habit will not happen by accident. Just like none of those Olympians got to Sochi, Russia by accident, if you really want a lifestyle of prayer that changes you and impacts the people around you, it's not going to happen by accident. Paul knew that. That's why he wrote in our text today, pray. And in those, if you, if you read verses 18 to 19, he's going to say pray four or five times. Pray, pray, pray. Next, God will empower your prayer habit if you will step out to establish it. Okay, I want to encourage you here. Don't be intimidated. Don't, you know, when we look at Paul's prayers and you might think, oh man, that's just so far from me, I'm not even going to try. Okay, don't be intimidated. Step out. God says, if you seek me, you'll find me. He says, draw, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Step out. Decide, you know what, I, I, I want to grow spiritually. Prayer is part of that, and I want to build a prayer base. I did a lot of yard work when I was in uh, junior high and uh, to make money for different things. And I remember the first time I had raked a neighbor's yard, and she paid me with a check. I was used to getting paid with cash. And I remember watching her. I'd never seen, actually observed someone write out a check. And I remember watching Mrs. Ziegler write out, you know, $25. And then, you know, I got the check and I'm in seventh grade and I don't have a car. And I remember thinking, this is worthless unless I get to a bank. Because I, I knew enough. I had, you know, observed how things work. I knew I needed to get to a bank. So I went to my mom and said, mom, can we go to the bank sometime? You know, when you are adopted into the family of God, Second uh, Corinthians says, and First Corinthians, that you are, you're a new creation. You have a new life. And it's like a check that's waiting to be cashed. Okay? Philippians 1.6 says it's God who works in you. He does the work. It's, it, it, well, it's God who works in you to, to will and do his good pleasure. Philippians 1.6 says he who began the work, he'll complete it. So God's the one writing the checks, Okay? And yet, there's a responsibility on us to cash them, to step out, to go to the bank, to say, okay, God has promised me this new life that's free from sin, that's full of joy and peace, that can go through terrible circumstances and have an eternal purpose. But you know what? You have to cash, you do have to cash the check. He writes it, he empowers it, he funds it, but it's up to you. So will you step out to establish a prayer base? A base prayer life 
And if you will, God will empower you. Let me give you four really specific ways, okay? As you go from here today, I, if you don't have your program open, please look on your program because these are there. This is what God wants you to take away from here today is one of these four things. The first one is to set ritual times and places, okay? I don't want you leaving here thinking, oh, that was a good sermon. I should pray more and nothing changes, Okay? I want to give you some really practical things. And this is the first one. Pick some ritual times and places. Mine is 10 o'clock every night, or if the kids get up at a little later than 1030 every night. And so, you know, no matter what, some nights, you know, we finally just get the kids in bed and get the kitchen cleaned up and all the dishes done. And Mel and I both sit down and it's 920 and we get to actually hang out and have fun for 40 minutes. <laughs> And then it's 10 o'clock and it's like, okay, that's my time. And I've learned that if I take that time, then the next day I'm a better dad. I'm a better husband. I'm a better everything that God has called me to do. And if I don't take that time, I wake up the next morning and I'm not in a good place because I'm living in John instead of in God. So that's my ritual time is is 10 o'clock or 1030 every night, depending on our kids' schedule. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Mel's is in the morning. I, I, I then stay up late connecting with God. She goes to bed and then she gets up early and she has her time before the kids get up and then the kids get up and then I'm on, on duty so that she can have her time. It, because I, I learned early on in high school when God really got a hold of my heart, my time then was before I would go to bed and I was you know, young and flexible. So I'd sit Indian style on my bed and put my pillow on my lap and open up my Bible and my prayer journal And you know what? It might be five minutes some nights. It might be longer as you get doing it and as you get into it, but but it's not going to happen by accident. So pick a time that, you know, every day on my lunch break is my time or every day at five o'clock. Pick pick a ritual time. As long as your heart's in it, it, it will help you out. It's a time where you clear away the noise of our society and you say, God, I'm here. You know, for me, it's an internet-free zone. I can't have my computer there because if there's email and Facebook and everything else, my computer cannot be there during my prayer time because I'm just not mature enough to handle that. I, I have to get somewhere where it's just a Bible and a pen and a journal and me and God. So set a ritual time and a ritual place sure helps. For me, it's the kitchen table. Um, here's a great story about Charles Stanley. Some of you know who Charles Stanley is. He uh, is a guy who God has used to impact a ton of people. An interviewer was asking his daughter, what is the most important lesson you've learned from your dad? And she said, the most important lesson I've learned from dad is to pray about everything and trust God to answer my prayers. Considering God's way was always an important part of our family thought process. Dad never considered anything too small to pray about. And here's what I want you to listen to. Okay, this is a man who has, uh, I think, TV and radio shows that are on over 3,000 stations in the world. This man has influenced a lot of people. And his daughter, when they say, what's the one thing you remember about him? Here's what she says. I have many memories of watching and listening to dad pray over the years. When I was a little girl, we had a tool shed in the backyard where he prayed. When I woke up in the mornings, I always knew where to find dad. I would run back to the shed in my nightgown and he'd be down on his face praying. These are the kind of people that God uses to change the world. The people who, as part of their habitual routine, step away from the world 
and say, God, it's just me and you. I want to connect with you. I I want your will to be done through me. Secondly, create mental handles. Because sometimes you get to that place, and you're, you're in your place, you're in your time, and if you're like me, your mind is just racing, and you're distracted, you don't know what to pray about or where to pray. Mental tools help you, mental handles that you can grab onto. The, the best one is just to memorize the Lord's Prayer, and you can go through that and pray that. But here's another really good one, and this is written out on your outline, the P-R-A-Y acrostic, which is praise, repent, ask, and yield. And those all come from the Lord's Prayer. And, and when you're in your prayer time and your mind's wandering, you don't know where to go, grab onto your handle. Okay, God, I'm going to start with praise. I praise you that you're good. Praise you for the sunrise today. I praise you that I have a job. I praise you that you love me no matter what. And you get going. And then you repent. God, is there anything between me and you? Is there anything that, I, that you don't want me doing? Is there some way where I'm running that you don't want me running? And then you ask. God, here's all the things I want today. <laughs> and then you yield. God, this life is yours. It's about your kingdom. It's about your will. You can create mental tools with that pray acrostic and by learning the Lord's Prayer. Next, write your prayers. Everyone, you know, is different on this. I write them, I like write them out long form sometimes because my attention span is so lousy. And if I'm actually writing it out, it helps me to actually really get into it. But maybe you don't like that idea and maybe for you it's just a prayer list where you put a date. For example, you could start a prayer journal today, and the first one could be 2-16-14. God, help me to develop a thriving prayer life with you. And then under that, maybe God help me with this decision at work. Help this kid of mine who's totally out of control. And, and, uh, and, and you go down the list, and then when you have your time, you open up your prayer journal, and you know what? After a while, it's April 3rd, and you're able to, you're able to put a check mark there. Next to God, help me develop a thriving prayer life with you. Wow, God, it happened. And you, you can check it off and you put the date. I love doing that. I love dating the answers to prayer. And you know what? I read my grandpa's prayer journals from, uh, from back in the 30s and 40s. I know when I'm dead, my kids are going to read mine. And you know what? Um, maybe when I'm gone, they'll think, I, I wonder if dad really loved me or whatever. And I know when they read those, they're going to know that I did. So write your prayers. And next, pray scripture. When you really don't know what to pray, pray scripture. You can turn to the book of Psalms. That's what the Psalms are, is other people's prayer journals. People who God said, of everyone in the world, I want to put these prayer journals in the Bible. And they will help you pray. You can pray those words. In your program is a bookmark, which has all of Paul's prayers referenced on there. You can look those up. You can pray those prayers. Jamie's going to come out here. We're about to close. And as we do, I'm going to give you about a minute of silence here before you pack all your things up. And here's what I want to ask you to decide in this time. Which of these four ways to build your base, which of these four things are you going to do this week? Are you going to create a ritual time and place? If so, you can write it on your outline there what it is. Do you have a time and place, but you needed some mental handles? Do you need to start writing your prayers out so that you're not distracted during that time? Or even praying scripture. Which one or two or three or four of these steps will you take this week? And obviously, if you're in a community group, you can hear what others are doing and you can tell them what you're doing. If you're not in a group, 
check into the community groups table. Jamie, why don't you just play for a minute or two, and then I'll, uh, I'll pray for us. Father, I thank you for these brothers and sisters. Lord, you love them so much. You love us so much. You really want the best for every person in this room. And Lord, thanks that your love for us doesn't depend on our performance. But thanks also for telling us in your word how we can grow teeth and muscles and strength so that we can help others, so that we can be your agents on this earth. And Lord, I just pray as these men and women step out to build their base prayer life, will you strengthen them? Give them endurance. Give them faith that as they step out, you'll meet them. Lord, there's, there's many in here who've had this in the past and it's kind of gotten pushed out in the busyness of life. Will you give them the discipline today to say, I'm, I'm going to reprioritize my prayer time with God. Lord, give each of us in this room a base so that as we go through this series, you can build on that. We want to pray with muscle. We want to shake the gates of hell. We want to see your kingdom come here. And we know that happens not through our might or strength, but through our bended knees and our open hearts and our time with you, Lord. So use us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.